Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we trust you. We know that your ways are higher than our own. We know that you have purposes for our nation, for our church, and for us as individuals that go beyond our understanding, Lord. Father, we're trusting you in this time of crisis. Lord, we thank you that we have the hope of eternal life beyond this life. We thank you that you have made this all possible through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to fix our minds on those things uh, this morning. Be with us right now, Lord, as we open your word. God, we pray that we would have hearts that are ready to receive what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're all getting used to new surroundings and new circumstances. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching in front of a small group at our church building. Last week, preaching to an empty room, pretty much, apart from our AV crew, uh, still in our building. And now I'm preaching in my living room to just about no one uh, in front of my iPhone, um, but trusting that God is going to use his word to build up his church, um, no matter how we uh, are able to uh, gather. And so thank you so much for tuning into our stream service this morning. And uh, we're continuing in our Death Defeated series from John uh, uh, chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. I'm going to read uh, our passage from God's Word. John chapter 19, beginning at verse 23. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided his, my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The series is called Death Defeated. And our passage of scripture this morning gives us the impression that Jesus has been defeated by death. It looks like at this moment the, that there is a surrender or a succumbing to defeat. But this is in fact a moment of victory. Jesus defeated death, and he defeated death by dying. And this is the source of our hope. And from this passage this morning, we're going to see really three aspects of who Jesus is. Jesus as a sacrifice, a Jesus as a shepherd, and then lastly, Jesus as a substitute. 
Firstly, Jesus as a sacrifice. Notice in verse 23, the soldiers who crucified Jesus divided his garments. John points out that these Roman soldiers were unwittingly fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. The 22nd Psalm is, a, in its title, it's called the Psalm of David. And David, of course, was given a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one of, his, one of his offspring would sit on his throne forever. And so this Messiah King, this offspring of David, had become associated with the one that the promise to whom it to, the one that this promise was made to. And so there are many parallels between David's life and, and the expected Messiah's life. And as we look at Jesus' life, we see many parallels between David and the son of David, who's Jesus Christ. They're both born in Bethlehem. David was a shepherd. Jesus called himself a shepherd. David was a, was a warrior who fought a great victory over Israel's enemies. And Jesus was the warrior who fought and defeated the ultimate enemy, sin and death. David was also betrayed by a close friend named Ahithophel. And Jesus, likewise, was betrayed by his friend Judas. So in this Psalm of David, we see David experiencing suffering in Psalm 22, and yet the suffering points forward to the suffering that Jesus would experience for us on the cross. Notice in Psalm 22, verse 1, it begins by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the psalm that Jesus quoted in the Synoptic Gospels when he was suffering and dying on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that triggers us to read Psalm 22 closely, looking for ways in which Christ's death fulfilled what was prophesied in Psalm 22. John was looking for those things as well. Take a look at verse 16 of Psalm 22. It says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, we don't know what that would have meant for David at the time because crucifixion hadn't even been established as a means of capital punishment at the time. And yet David here makes reference to hands and feet being pierced, clearly prophesying about the way in which the Messiah King, the offspring of David, Jesus Christ, would suffer and die. Then look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And if we turn back to John chapter 19 in our Bibles, we'll see in verse 24, he quotes Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided his garments. That's what they did. There was four soldiers. They divided his garments into four parts. The tunic, they didn't want to separate, and so they cast lots, a direct fulfillment of what was prophesied in Psalm 22. You see, this was all planned out. Even before the, the promise was made to David about his offspring, a promise was made to Eve about her offspring, all the way back to Genesis 3, when death first entered into the world, there was a prophecy that death would be defeated, that the offspring of Eve, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. And then we see this prophecy carried out even in, the, in, even in the following hours when God had animals sacrificed to 
create garments to cover the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And here we have that promised Messiah King, the offspring of David, the seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3, and his garments are being taken away. Adam and Eve were covered, and Jesus now is being uncovered. Jesus is like those animals that prophetically point to their sacrificial death in order to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. That is what Jesus is ultimately fulfilling here, and you trace that right through the biblical story. The potential sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham, and then at the last minute, God telling Abraham to hold his hand. But now, when it comes to his own son, God is not holding his hand. God has provided that sacrifice that was prophesied about. We see it in the Passover story with the, the lamb's blood. We see it with the, the Levitical sacrifices in the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We see it in Isaiah 53 that prophesies about someone. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. This is all pointing. All of these prophecies from Psalm 22 to Genesis 3 to Isaiah 53 all point to one who would make this great sacrifice. And these prophecies now are coming to a crescendo in John chapter 19 as Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross. So we move from four soldiers then to four women. Look with me at verse 25. It says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And it's in this it's in this scene where we see Jesus not only as our sacrifice, but also as our shepherd. It refers to the mother of Jesus, who we know as Mary. And isn't it interesting that three out of the four women here are named Mary. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary who is married to Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's so many women named Mary at the time of Jesus. It's, it's interesting Mary means bitterness, and children's names often speak to the circumstances in which the families find themselves in. And I remember Pastor Chris explaining to me one time that, that the reason why there were so many women named Mary at the time was because it was such a bitter time. That even though there was great joy in bringing a child into the world, they chose the name that meant bitterness. These are the times into which Christ came. Times of darkness, times of hopelessness, times of bitterness. And Christ came to reach us in those moments. It's also interesting that as Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross, his mother is right there in the picture. Also in Psalm 22, in verse 9 and 10, as David is going through this immense suffering that's point forward to the suffering that Jesus experienced, David said, You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Psalm 22. David reflecting on his suffering, crying out to God in his suffering, and also reflecting on his mother who bore him and who raised him. And here is Jesus suffering and dying, and his mother is right there. 
It says that Mary's sister was there also. Some people believe that this is actually James and John's mother, um, and they believe that, that Jesus and John were somehow cousins, if not in the, in the Bible, but uh, some scholars believe that. Also the wife of Clopas, we don't know too much about her. And then Mary Magdalene is introduced for the first time in the Gospel of John. She'll pay, play a huge role in the resurrection story in the, in the weeks to come as we journey towards uh, Easter together. Uh, Magdalene simply means from Magdala. Magdala was just a village in a Galilee. They called her Mary Magdalene probably because there were just so many Marys. There was so much bitterness in, uh, uh, in their culture. There were so many women who went by that name. In verse 26, it also says that the disciple whom Jesus loved was there. And then notice what takes place. Jesus looks at his mother and says, Behold your son. And he looks at John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says, Behold your mother. You see, Jesus, as the eldest son, would have had a, a cultural obligation, responsibility, indeed a privilege of looking after his aging parents. And as he is suffering and dying here in this moment, he is ensuring that his mother will be cared for and looked after. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus had a couple of half-brothers, James and Jude. They'll later become followers of Jesus Christ. But we know from John chapter 7, verse 5, that they didn't initially believe in him. And so Jesus asked the disciple whom he loved, John, to care for his mother. You see, this is the incredible thing about our Lord, is that at the, very, at the very same moment where he is dealing with the most significant issues in terms of eternity and in terms of our spiritual lives by dying for our sin, his eyes are not only on the eternal and on the spiritual, they are also on the physical and on the practical. You see, we serve such an amazing God. He has secured for us the gift of eternal life by suffering and dying for us on the cross. And yet at the same time, he is a shepherd who is caring for us. And how important is this message for us right here, right now? That as we think about the cross, as we think about this death-defeated series, as we journey through the Gospel of John, we are not simply following a Savior who suffered to secure spiritual and eternal things for us, but who is also a shepherd who cares for our practical and our physical needs. Jesus here sets an incredible example that really it runs against everything in our culture. We're so selfish and materialistic in our culture. The idea of caring for the elderly is something that we subcontract out to someone else. But Jesus here takes the initiative in making sure that Mary is being cared for. Many of us in our church right now are taking steps, sacrificial steps, to make sure that parents, that, that in-laws, that grandparents are being cared for and loved in beautiful, sacrificial ways. And if you're doing that, I want to encourage you that you are following in the steps of our Savior, who is a faithful shepherd, who cares for practical needs. We also need to notice here the language that Jesus uses here. He, he tells his mother, this is now your son. He tells John, this is now your mother. You see, Jesus 
has created and established a new family. John chapter 1, verse 12, nailed it on the head right at the beginning of this book. It said, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the son of God, and he has come to make us sons and daughters of God. That makes us brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers to one another. We are all part of this great and glorious family of God. And so we need to make sure that we're living this way. And so loved ones, I want to challenge you this afternoon. Who are three or four people that you could reach out to with, with, with a phone call or a video chat that is a part of the Hope Church family to make sure that they are being cared for, to make sure that they are loved. Our staff and our elders and our leaders are working hard at that. But what about everyone in our church? What if we truly understood that we are part of a family that God has put together, that Christ made possible for us on the cross? Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the shepherd. And then lastly, Jesus is the substitute. He is our substitute. And you can write this down, that as, his sub, as our substitute, Jesus has finished his work of propitiation. Look with me now at verse 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Just pause there for a second. The one who created oceans and rivers. The one who, together with the Father and the Spirit, took two hydrogen molecules and an oxygen molecule and created H2O, created water, is now thirsty. The one who told the Samaritan woman at the well that he could give water, that if you were to drink it, you would never be thirsty again. He who stood up at the Feast of Booths and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The one who said these things, who promised these things, he is now thirsting on the cross. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I wish that I were there. I wish that I could have helped or served my Savior in this simple way. I wish that I could have given him water. Well, loved ones, Jesus said something quite remarkable in the Gospel of Matthew, talking about the end of the age when he returns in all of his glory. And he's going to say some things. Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40, Jesus says he's going to say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And we're going to ask, Lord, when, when, did we, when did we do these things? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. You see, not only are we part of this family and privileged to care for one another, but that when we do care for one another, it's as though we are caring for Christ. It's as though we are quenching his thirst when we serve the needs of our brothers and sisters. 
The soldiers who were there in verse 29 took a jar of sour wine. The one who miraculously provided the good wine at the wedding in Cana is now offered sour wine to drink. Again, all of this fulfills prophecy. Psalm 69, verse 21, which is a psalm that John has, has quoted a, a number of times. When, when Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, John quoted Psalm 69 that says, zeal for your house, the temple will consume me. In Psalm 69, verse 21, David says, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Again, the soldiers, in the way that they gamble for Christ's clothing and tear his clothes apart, in the way that they offer him sour wine, are fulfilling prophecy without even realizing it. Even beyond that, look how they give it to him. They, they, they put it on a sponge and then they lift it up to him on a hyssop branch. Don't let these details escape you. Uh, a hyssop branch, it's, it's a, a short little stick. We sometimes have this idea that, that when people were crucified, they were crucified way up high. No, just a, just a few inches up off the ground. And a hyssop branch is just a, a small little branch. But why does John add this little detail? It's because at Passover, when the lamb had been sacrificed, they were to raise up a hyssop branch like a brush with blood on it. And on the doorposts, the vertical parts of a door and the lintels, the horizontal parts of the door, they were to spread the blood. And here you have the horizontal and the vertical of the, of the cross, the Roman cross, and a hyssop branch being lifted up, just like Exodus 12, verse 22. And so here we have sour wine being offered to Jesus as Mary looks on. The first sign was a wedding. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and wine was served, good wine. That was the first sign. Now we are at the cross, the seventh and the final sign. And here we have Mary, and here we have wine. At the first sign, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. And now at the cross, at the final sign, Jesus' hour has come. And that's when he utters these incredible words in verse 30. It is finished. One word in Greek to telestai. You see, Jesus finished his mission at this moment in time. His hour had ultimately come. On a physical level, Jesus drank the sour wine, but on a deeper, more profound level, on a spiritual level, Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God. In John 18, 11, Jesus told Peter, put away your sword. I need to drink the cup that the Father has put in front of me. Psalm 75, verse 8 and 9 says that this is a cup that is intended for all the wicked of the earth. Isaiah 51 verse 17 says it's the cup of the wrath of God. Jeremiah 25 verses 15 to 18 says it's a cup of curses. And this is what Jesus drank for us. He drank the cup of the wrath of God. He drank it down to the dregs and he put the cup down and he said, it is finished. 
In that cup is the punishment, the righteous anger of God towards every sin that I have committed and that you have committed. Every evil action, every thoughtless and evil and hurtful word, every evil thought that has entered and been entertained in our mind. Jesus suffered and died for us. And he did in an instant what no mere human being could do for all of eternity. The cry that's on repeat in hell is, it is not finished. It is not finished. It is not finished. As finite human beings bear the wrath of God. But Jesus, not merely being a human being, he was fully human, but he was also fully God. So that at this moment, at his hour, his hour had now come, and in an instant he was able to bear the wrath of God for you and for me and say, it is finished. Loved ones, this is the gospel. Jesus as our substitute as our propitiation, which is a theological term, which means Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God. He has emptied out the cup, the punishment that we deserve. There's nothing left in the cup. He has paid it all. It is finished. His work is complete. His work as a sacrifice, his work as a savior, his work as a sin bearer, his work as a redeemer, as a rescuer, as a propitiation, his work is now finished. He has endured our punishment. He has secured our forgiveness. He has paid our debt. He has purchased our freedom. He has secured our inheritance. He has become our sacrifice. He has satisfied God's wrath. He was stripped and his clothes were torn apart so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. He was thirsty so that we could drink from the river's of living water. And as the old hymn so beautifully says, lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we again are praying that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and put it into the hearts of the people of God. We are trusting that you will do that. God, we thank you that you died as our sacrifice. We thank you that you love us as a shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And God, we thank you that you are our substitute, that you bore the wrath of God. God, as small groups, we have been asking ourselves, what do particular passages tell us about ourselves? What do they tell us about God? Lord, this tells us how serious our sin is. Lord, help us to hate sin. Help us to fight against sin. And Lord, this passage tells us how glorious your love and your mercy and your power is. So Lord, I pray that those two truths would be impressed upon us. On the cross, lifted high, it is finished, was his cry, the cry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.